I want to talk this morning on a subject that when I say the subject, a number of you will think, oh, not again. Why can't we talk about something else? Why can't we talk about something useful? Why can't we talk about something that, that actually matters in real life? And uh, we've been here so many times and you want to switch off. And I completely understand that. Uh, but I want to say that this, what I want to talk about is absolutely central to real life. And sometimes, even if we know these things, it is really, really good to remind ourselves and to be reminded. I know that a lot of teaching now of, uh, that I hear of truth, uh, there's not loads that is brand new that I never heard before. I've been, I've been following Jesus since the days of Noah. Um, uh, so there won't be anything that new. But what, what it is, is yes, I needed to hear that again. And uh, the subject is worship, is worship. But just before we do, uh, something that I'm curious about um, is um, we've got loads away. All our young people and youth team are away. Uh, we've got most of the pastors, the staff team are away on holiday and loads of others. Um, someone, who on earth are you? Uh, just, um, just put your hand up if you're visiting us. If you're not... Oh, a fair few, but not loads of you. Not loads of you. Can I ask those of that are visiting us, just, just shout out where you're from, if you, if you wouldn't mind. Wembley. Ah, oh, I was brought up in Wembley. Kingsbury. Do you know Kingsbury? I went to Claremont High School. <laughs> anyway, never mind. Yes? What? Oh, little Chalfont. Very posh. Uh, there's that little Italian shop. Do you remember the little shelf font? That's very good. Really expensive. <laughs> Flipping heck. Um, uh, and uh, who else? You guys? Oh, you're Italian. Oh, oh we have it. We know Italians. Um, yeah, we're, we're from in Italy originally. Northeast. We've got a linked church in Bari. Yeah, that's south east. Yes, and you guys, you're from Norwich, aren't you? Because I met you earlier. Yeah, well, good to have you with us. Who else? Yes? From Guyana and what? Ah, you live from Guyana, so moved a little while ago. Right, great to have you. Anyone else? Loughborough. Loughborough. Oh, right. What? New Springs Church. Sounds like a mattress. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I didn't. That, did I say that out loud? I thought I just. <laughs> I just thought that, but I said it out loud. But it's great to have you with us. Um, jump up and down. Um, and any anyone else? Any other? Yes. Rickmansworth. That's well. You're still visiting us. You're still visiting us. It's great to have you with us. Yes? Where? Virginia in the USA. Oh, oh, that's great. You must have got lost coming to Watford. <laughs> All right, it's great to have you with us. Anyone else I missed? Where? Nottingham. All right, so we've got a fair few from, but most of you are from, from here. Anyway, I'll start again. It wasn't a very good start, was it? Can I just say, so that I'm at peace, 
most, most of the time, when one of us preaches, we, we kind of review with others and they say, others, you know, like what we could have done better. It works like that for everyone except with myself and Andy. He tells me what I could have done better before I preach. So this is absolutely true. So this morning I arrived and he said, so tell me what you And I said what I was saying and I went through it and I said, what do you think? And he said, oh, you, you, it's much too long. You're going you're gonna to go over time. And if you don't go over time, you'll do what you often do, which is you'll sound like a machine gun and you'll rush it and no one will understand what you're saying. And, uh, and have you got illustrations? Illustrations are really important. doesn't sound like you've got many illustrations. So even before I start, I'm feeling like a failure. Um, and I just wanted to say that to you. Don't patronise me. Um, worship. Three questions I want to try and answer. What is worship? Why do we worship? And how do we worship? And uh, the first bit, I'm going to go actually really fast. Hopefully not like a machine gun. I'm sure I'll get told if I do. Um, but I just want to go through this fast. What, what is worship? It's thanksgiving. It's praise. It's confession. It's adoration. It's worship, to use the old English word from which we get worship. It's, it's giving him his worth. It's telling him how good he is. And it's an act of devotion. Worship is an act of devotion. Um, and uh, it, it, when we gather together, and we did it this morning, we begin uh, with praise and thanksgiving. One of the Psalms begins, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. And it, it, what it's saying is we're making a choice at the beginning. And we begin by declaring. We declare to him how good, we praise him for who he is and thank him for what he's done. But we're also declaring to ourselves because we need to hear that. We need to remind ourselves. And um, many of us, we've rushed to church. Uh, we've arrived late. Four-fifths of us have arrived late and, uh, and, we, and we've settled down and, and we, we got halfway here probably and we realised that one of the kids hadn't got their shoes so we drove all the way back and argued with each other about whose fault it was. Uh, we got back here, we rushed in and actually what we need to do before we can adore, we need to, we need to remind ourselves of who he is and also we declare it before our enemy the evil one. We want to declare the truth of who God is uh, to God, to him, to ourselves and to the enemy. And then we move from, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts to, with, with praise to come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture the sheep of his hand. And it comes to adoration. It comes to intimacy. So it is a progression. But while it's specific acts of devotion, it is also a way of life. We worship when we gather together on a Sunday morning, but we worship on a Monday morning individually as we go about our lives. It's all meant to be an act of worship. In our jobs, um, with our families, with our neighbours, 
in the way we, we, we help others, in the way we're kind to the people we come across, in the way maybe that we feed the hungry, in the way that we, we stand up for justice, in all of those ways. It's part of our worship. And if we just worship with, when we come together, but don't worship with our lives, it becomes self-indulgent. If we try and just worship with our lives and never come to a place of adoration and praise and thanksgiving and intimacy, uh, then actually what, what happens is it becomes dry and it becomes rigid and it becomes legalistic. It needs to be both. So question number two, why do we worship? Uh, worship is our response to God's revelation of himself. And uh, you can't, you, you know, if you try and worship without seeing him, it's just dry. It's just dry. It's just, it just feels like it goes on and on and on forever and ever. And if you haven't seen him for a while, that is what it will feel like. But when you had a revelation of him, when you've seen something of his beauty, his majesty, his glory, his goodness, his tenderness, his love, his commitment to you, then the response is worship. Now, I'm not arty farty. You know, I just, I'm not into art. I'm not into any of that stuff. And a lot of my friends, they, they go on about, oh, did you see that painting? I could have stared at it all day. And, and Monet and Manet and Minet and Mounet and, and all the other A's. And, and all of that, or... Or, you know, oh, I just went to the opera. It was so wonderful. I went to this concert. I went to this gig. I just, just does nothing for me. I went to the Louvre once because I thought I ought to before I died. And uh, I went to see the Mona Lisa and I stood there and, you know, I couldn't work out what all the fuss was about. It was just a woman staring back, you know, big deal, you know. Uh, but there was one time, there was one time when it was different. And uh, I went to Rome and I visited the Vatican and I went to the Vatican Museum. And in the Vatican Museum, there are all sorts of amazing artifacts. And, and again, most of them didn't do much for me. There, there was a ceiling that someone painted that, you know, I thought I could have painted a ceiling, you know, big deal. Uh, but there was one thing that took me by surprise. And that was a statue called La Pieta by Michelangelo. And uh, it's a statue that he did of Mary, the mother of Jesus, holding Jesus after he came down from the cross with the nail marks. And honestly, I'd never, it never happened to me before. It like took my breath away. I just stood there and I stared and I wanted to weep. It was beautiful. It was magnificent. It spoke to me. And I remember I bought a print of it and put it on my bedroom wall when I got home. And of course, the print isn't anything like the original. But, but that experience I had of watching La Pieta is, is what happens when we see Jesus. He takes your breath away. He, it's like you, you, you see afresh what you hadn't seen maybe for ages. Uh, we're commanded to worship. It's the greatest commandment. Uh, it's, the, uh, it's an expression of love. Worship isn't something that we do. It's a relationship that we have. And I want to say a bit more on this one. It is, because we don't talk about this very much, it is spiritual warfare. When we declare the truth of who he is, we declare it to him and he knows. We declare it to ourselves, but we also declare it to the enemy and the powers that be and to one another. 
And when we praise and thanksgiving is, is one of the best weapons we can have. It's, a, it's an incredible, we don't realize what it can do. In Acts chapter 16, uh, we read that Paul and Silas, uh, they were jailed in Philippi for preaching the gospel and they were put in the deepest dungeon and they didn't know if they were going to be executed the next day or not. And we read this in verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I love that story. There they were. Everything seemed to have gone wrong in the deepest dungeon at midnight when they could have felt sorry for themselves. They praised, they worshipped. And guess what? When we worship like that, coincidences happen. Coincidentally, uh, an earthquake came that their chains fell off the prison doors flew open. When we worship like that, when we give praise and thanksgiving to God, our chains fall off. Our prison doors, the doors that imprison us, fly open. And not just for us, for those around us. For Paul and Silas, it blessed other people as well. Praise is a spiritual weapon that sets us free. What the enemy tries to do is he tries to bombard us and he succeeds with negatives, whether it's on the news or social media or in our conversations or, or just in life in general. And we can end up full of fear and full of, full of just despair. But do you know, when we look up, when we look at him, when we receive the truth, it changes everything. And if there's any time when people's chains need to be broken, it's these days. The number of people I talk to, um, on our street we, we have a WhatsApp group and, and um, the number of people I talk to and I hear about who are frankly fearful about the coming months and the coming year and uh, financially and in relationally and in every other way. Praise and thanksgiving, I'm not saying it's easy. But it, it does something. It does something. And, and again, you know, when, when uh, the people of Israel under Joshua, they came to the promised land and there was Jericho standing in the way with its fortified walls all around. You know, what, what God told them to do was not what military maneuvers that you would expect. You know, he said, march round seven times, blowing your trumpets, have a praise party. And I can imagine the people of Jericho saying, guys, we're over here. Come, come to us. Don't go round us. But you know what? They must have felt a bit embarrassed maybe. But after seven times, the walls came down. The walls came down. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, the scripture says. So that is spiritual warfare. To worship is to change. As we look at him, we become more like him. 
I don't know about you, but I try to change myself. And when I've done it on my own effort, I haven't gone very far. You know, it's how you, you grit your teeth and you try your best and uh, it, it kind of, it never works. I, in my life, I have lost more weight than the rest of this church put together. I'm absolutely certain of that. The problem is, I've always found it again. It's always come back. And it's been one of my big struggles. And, and you realize sometimes just self-effort isn't enough. I'm not saying we don't, we, don't, we don't make an effort. I'm not saying we do that. But actually, it's got to be more than that. It's not the works of the flesh. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And how do we grow in the fruit of the Spirit? How do we become more like Jesus? One of the key ways is by worshipping him. Listen to this from 2 Corinthians 3, verses 16 and 18. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You want to be, be transformed? You want to be more like Jesus? I do. One of the, the, the best way is look at him. And where it says contemplate, we with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. If you look in your Bible, where it says contemplate, there'll be a little letter, and at the bottom of the page, there'll be another little letter, and under that, it'll say, or reflect. And before I looked into it, I thought, that's strange, because contemplate and reflect are not exactly the same. So why, why would the word be able to be translated both ways? The original Greek word, and this is why they didn't know quite sure how to translate it, is to look as in a mirror, or to look as on a still pond, to look down. You reflect what you look at. And that's what happens when we look at Christ and we worship him. We look at him and we end up reflecting him. We are transformed. We are changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. And it doesn't happen overnight. That's the mistake we make. You know, I remember when I first became a Christian, I thought, right, I'll just, I'll just worship you, Lord, for a day and then I'll be like you. It just doesn't work like that. I am an amateur gardener. Um, I love my garden. I, my garden gives me such pleasure. And uh, I, I'd like to say it's, it's me, but uh, my friend Liz, Liz Bidolf, uh, she, does, she, she does all the proper stuff in the garden. And I do the important things like mowing the lawn and watering and, and um, pruning the vines. I have five grapevines. I have a fig tree that's full of grapes. And I have two apple trees that between them have one apple. One flipping apple, two apple trees. And, and you know, when in, in April, when I first saw the apple, you know, I thought, yes. And then in May, I thought, Is it, shall I pick it now? And I've learned through experience not to pick it now. And my grapes, they're just starting to grow and everything in me wants to start tasting them. But there's a whole month to go and they're gonna get fatter they're going to get juicier. And it takes a season for the fruit to grow. Don't rush it. 
in your life. It takes a season. It takes, it takes a whole season. And, and it's as we behold, you know, as, as, we, as we stand under the sun, you know, the, the son of God, as, as we get watered with the word of God and we get filled with the spirit of God, we, we gradually become more like him. To worship is to change. And it happens in two ways. First of all, the renewal of our minds. That's why it's important we declare his truth. And this morning, I hadn't planned it with, with Tom uh, like this, but we've sang some songs of declaration, songs of truth. And, and when we sing that to ourselves, you know, it's important not just to hear truth, but to speak truth or to sing truth. Because when we express truth, it more likely becomes part of us. Uh, it, it's just the way it is. You know, what you say really does matter. It really does matter. But secondly, it's the softening of our hearts and the healing of our emotions as we experience his presence. Do you know, there were moments this morning as we worshipped, uh, many of you must have sensed it. I thought, oh Lord, you're here. I can sense your presence. Where else would I rather be than in your presence? Better is one day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. And the renewing of our minds and the softening of our hearts leads to the transformation of our characters that we might be more like him. And that leads to the strengthening of our wills so that we might truly obey him. That's how it works. And it takes a lifetime. It takes a lifetime. So finally, how do we worship? We're, meant, we're called to worship with all our hearts, with all our minds, with all our strength, and with all our lives. And, and, and that's not a passive thing. That's a, not half-hearted worship. All in worship. You know, we're called to worship with all our hearts, with all our minds, with all our strength, and then with all our lives. And it is, my brothers and my friends, a decision that we make. We're called to worship with our lips. As I said, declaring truth is good for us. You know, Paul says about speaking in tongues, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. Well, I'm telling you, anyone who worships and declares truth in English as well edifies themselves and everyone around them. We're called to worship with our bodies, with our bodies. I didn't realize when I first became a Christian how kind of important that is. You know, the, you know the Hebrew word for thanksgiving signifies an extension of the hand. The Hebrew phrase for to bless literally translates as to kneel. We're told in the Psalms to lift our hands, to lift our eyes, to lift our heads. Uh, we're told to clap. We're called, told to stand. We're told to dance. Uh, we're, we're told to uh, play instruments, to sing. We're, we're told to wear sackcloth and ashes. We're told, told to kneel. We're told, told to prostrate ourselves. In fact, um, the main word for worship used in the New Testament, I think it's used 66 times, is the Greek word proskunio, which can be translated 
to come towards to kiss. To come towards to kiss. Intimacy, but also humility. He is the Lord, and it's, and it's kiss on the hand. It's like it, it was used in the first century to speak of a dog or a hound licking its master's hand. That's the picture. That's the picture. Why do we lift our, our arms? Why do we lift our hands in worship? First of all, it's possible to do that without having the heart. And then that's hypocrisy. You know, uh, it's religion. If we do that without, without, without it coming from our heart. But if it's in our heart, express it with our bodies. There are three pictures of lifting up our hands that, that, I, I, that we love, that I love. The first one is I see Andy's uh, boys, Zachary, his youngest, does it all the time, who's two. He goes up to Andy and he's like this. And he's saying, pick me up, hold me, love me. I love you, Daddy. I love you, hold me. And when we worship, there is that, I love you, my Father. You love me, I trust you. Hold me, come close to me. Come really, really close to me. And, and we need to understand his tenderness. And, and when we don't, we get a lot of things wrong. You know, how many of you, when, when you've prayed at some stage, you've fallen asleep while praying? Okay, that's a fair few of you and the rest of you are lying. Um, <clears throat> I certainly have. And you know, when I've fallen asleep praying and I wake up, you know, I, I, <clears throat> I've in the past, I've beaten myself up. You pathetic human being. You're, you're supposed to be a Christian, a pastor, and, and you're talking to Almighty God, the, the, your creator and your redeemer, who shed his blood on the cross for you, and you couldn't even stay awake. You were so bored with him. You shouldn't be in leadership. You shouldn't even be a, are you a Christian even? I'm not sure. Have you ever done that one? And, and, and I get cross with myself. And, 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 you know, and then I forget that the disciples fell asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus said, couldn't you stay awake for an hour to pray with me? So we're not the only ones. And then I found recently, I was looking through my notes. I don't know where I got this from. but It must be a talk or something I read. There was just this, I just wrote this sentence down. And the sentence is, um, what father gets angry with their child when their child falls asleep in their arms? You see, we misunderstand God. He's a father who doesn't get angry. He just loves it that we're in his arms. Well, Dad, I had a nap, Father, while I was talking to you. Yes, son, I, I watched you while you were asleep. Are you ready to finish your sentence now? You know, it, it's like that. It's like that. That's the first picture. Hold me. The second picture is from the, um, the, the cops and robbers movies. You know, when, when the, the cops are chasing the criminal and then they corner him and they've got their guns out. And what does the criminal do? He goes like this. I surrender. He goes, I surrender. 
And that's the second thing we do when we lift our hands. We say, Lord, I surrender myself to you. The God who gave yourself to me, I give myself to you. I give my worries, I surrender my anxieties. I surrender all the things that, that, that I've, been, I've been toying with to you. And here's the third one. Um, uh, carry me, I love you, I surrender. And the third one is what I hope many of us will be doing tonight. Tonight, I won't be, because I'm gonna be here at the 6.30 service. I have a feeling I will be the only one here at the 6.30 service, and I'm going to preach a great sermon to myself. And as a result, I'm gonna come forward and give my life to Jesus. And it's gonna be revival, me, myself, and I. And most of the rest of the country is gonna be watching the football. And if, if we do it, what's gonna be the response? Now, at the first service, I lifted my hands right up and I got told by Andy that everyone could see my stomach. So, Andy, why don't you come? So, because you've got a flat one. Um, so, you know, say when we score a goal, what's our response? That's it, that's it. We, we, we do that, we do that. And they're the three things we do when we lift our hands. Father, hold me. Look after me. I surrender. We've won. My king has won and I'm on his team. My king is victorious. That is what it is all about. We worship finally, passionately, creatively, authentically. It's got to be real vulnerably, intimately, and accessibly. That's just a reminder. As many of us prepare to go on holidays, just a reminder of why we do what we do and why we do it the way that we do it. Amen.